Four years ago, I picked five stocks for the 2018 World Cup. The 2018 World Cup was, do you remember this? Hosted by Russia. Yeah, that Russia. And so one of the stocks I picked was Yandex, the search engine and e-commerce company for Russia. Anyway, that five-stock sampler finished out at the end of last week, and it's another tale of huge wins swinging to meaningful loss. We'll talk about it and send five stocks celebrating the 2018 World Cup off to Fulhalla. But even more this week, with all that's going on, it's my country's birthday, perhaps yours too. And so briefly and unapologetically, I'd like to celebrate, yes, celebrate and not denigrate or flagellate our country and do that through the fresh eyes of an immigrant observer. What can we learn? Maybe relearn. What might we have forgotten? What should we never forget? Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. And especially if you're an American listener, happy birthday. And great to have you with me this particular week in the height of the summer heat and the summer calendar. You know, there's still enough left of summer that you can still look ahead if you love summer and go, wow, there's still so much summer left. And yet, past July 4th now, as we record on Tuesday, July 5th, you can already look back and say, some of summer is gone and will never come back. And I guess I kind of love that feeling. Maybe it's not that different from middle age. All right. Well, we have two primary agenda items for the podcast this week. The first is a five-stock sampler review, and the second are some reflections about the United States of America, appropriately enough, this week. And so we'll do them in that order. And in the past, for, for many Review of Palooza episodes, regular listeners will know, I've had a Motley Fool analyst join me, and often we'll do three of these at once, and we'll have three different analysts. But since we're just doing one, and since I hope a lot of my analysts are on vacation or maybe at the beach this week, I thought I would just pick off this one and talk it through. After all, I'm the one who picked all the stocks, and so uh, why don't I be there both at the Alpha and the Omega for five stocks celebrating the 2018 World Cup? Now, the market over the course of these four years is up. 40.7%. And longtime listeners will know that the vast majority of my 30 historical five stock samplers were set for three year games, three year periods that we watch the stocks learn from their performance and see if we beat the market. This is one of the very few that I did not for three years, but for four. And for understandable reasons, since the World Cup recurs every four years, it felt like the right thing to do. As you will shortly find out, I sure wish this one had ended after three years. But nope, with the World Cup returning, I was just checking with my pal, my producer, Rick, and we noted that the, the Men's World Cup starts in November of this year. Of course, four years ago, it was in the height of summer that it was happening. But since, I guess, Qatar seasonally is just better for November, December, that's when the World Cup is for the men this year in 2022. But this five-stock sampler was picked in July of 2018, and here we are right at the start of July 2022. So let's get into it. As I already mentioned, the stock market over these four years was up 40.7%. We'll round that to 41% for 2018. 
from July 2018 to July 2022. So that's what we're trying to beat, 41%. And I always like to start with the worst performer. And the worst performer was Yandex, which I mentioned at the top of the show this week. Yandex is not even trading right now. So it's been a rule breaker pick. I actually personally own shares of the stock. It hasn't traded for a few months. So it's kind of locked in at a price that is well down from where it was one year ago. I was just checking back with our review of this sampler last year. Much better times, and Yandex stock was up 101%. So it had doubled in the three years since we picked it. It closes this fourth and final year down 46%. So yeah, that's 87 points behind the market averages, and Yandex is the worst selection for this five-stock sampler. Uh, Obviously, a business that, as of the first quarter this year, had a billion dollars in cash sitting on its balance sheet, still has value. But with Russia in the state that it's in, this company was delisted from the NASDAQ, and the co-founder and CEO recently stepped down, but it remains a vital going concern. So this is an unusual situation, to say the least. Uh, The first time in five-stock sampler history, we had a stock delisted for this kind of a reason. And of course, I continue to follow all of these companies past the end of the games that we play with the five-stock sampler. So an interesting one to continue to watch. Now, speaking of interesting to watch, hard to watch though, was the best performer for this five-stock sampler. And I'm happy to say that Mercado Libre is up 122% over these four years, which is well ahead of the market's 41% return. So we can give ourselves a plus 81 in the win column if you're netting out the market's return from Mercado Libre's return. But here's why it's been hard to watch. Because a year ago, this week, Mercado Libre was not up 122%. It was up 421%. Basically, 300 percentage points higher. It had quintupled over the three-year period. Now it's just a double over four years. And as you might imagine, The greatest reason that five stocks celebrating the 2018 World Cup will close out as a loser is not really Yandex's fault, although Yandex was by far the worst performer. It was the 300 points of alpha that we lost in our top stock over the last year. And it's really a good lesson to keep in mind, which is that when your winners win, they carry you to unprecedented heights. And indeed, in normal market periods and over any meaningful market, eras, that's the way things will play out, as it will for this stock, I think, over time. But over any nearer term periods, over any bear markets, all the bear markets that we must live through in life, it's going to be your biggest gainers when they get halved. Well, that's down 50% from their highs. But in terms of your overall return, if you were riding a 17-bagger or something like that, all of a sudden, your 17-bagger will be well, an 8-bagger or less. And, uh, and so that's, that's always to be kept in mind. I think the strength of rule breaker investing is that over time, you will celebrate these wonderful multi-baggers and how they can sometimes occupy outsized places in your portfolio. But part of that celebration is made all the sweeter by the memories of years like this one, where you watch wonderful companies lose a lot of their value and a lot of your profits along with them. Anyway, Mercado Libre, the top performer for this five-stock sampler, Yandex, the worst performer. And between those two, as bookends, we have Electronic Arts, Booking, and Dassault System. 
So Electronic Arts, the video game company, closes out as of last week down 13%, well behind the market. Booking closes out down 16%, also dozens of percentage points behind the market. And Dassault Systems, the 3D design and automation software company, a French company. And by the way, the reason I picked this five-stock sampler the way I did, some of these companies were international companies like Dassault Systems, a French company. Of course, the French ended up winning the World Cup four years ago. Well, Dassault Systems was up 29% over these four years, but still about a dozen percentage points behind the market returns. So when you take it all in all, these five stocks return 16.3%. So a gain, which given how the market's been the last year, feels kind of good, except not that great because we're 24.4 percentage points behind the market averages. And so five stocks celebrating the 2018 World Cup, which was so worthy, the sampler anyway, of celebration a year ago, I'll mention the numbers in a sec, ends up going off to Fulhalla as a loser. Rick, please cue our Fulhalla music so I can emotionally think about what might have been for five stocks celebrating the 2018 World Cup. And the reason I'm even maybe a little choked up right now is because when we reviewed this sampler one year ago, the market was up 59.7%, so we'll round that to 60. These five stocks were up as a group 122%. They had doubled the market's return. And so just one year later, we end up walking away in shame. And since Fulhalla is permanent, and that's where the permanent memories will live, those halcyon days of 2021 and how they were treating a company like Mercado Libre now look, well, a bit nostalgic. So before we prepare to transition to the second part of this week's podcast, I guess just a couple of thoughts in passing. The first is that it's been a really tough year. This is not the only five-stock sampler that has rotated from big positive gains to all of a sudden, well, in some cases, not this one, negative returns, but well behind the market. So I guess thought number one is just to remember that part of winning is losing. I once did an entire podcast entitled Losing to Win. It's a really important rule breaker point. And so as most bear markets last somewhere between six and 18 months, and we're in one right now, there's no way we can quickly swim out of this. It may have worked for that second frog in the story of the two frogs in a bowl of milk. Remember the second frog persevered. He, he refused to give in. He, through his own exertions, he gradually turned the milk into butter so that he was able to just kind of climb out of that cup. We can't do that instantly. That's not how investing works. And so lesson number one is that you just have to be prepared to endure this. And that's why my most repeated phrase on Rule Breaker Investing in 2022 is, of course, just keep swimming. And maybe we can add in the frog analogy. You can picture a frog swim too, but you can picture those frogs kicking their legs in the milk and eventually it becomes butter. Lesson number one, you have to endure the milk. And then lesson number two is, even in the worst bear market I've seen for at least a decade, we can look back over these 35 stock samplers and see the 150 stocks taken together returning an average of 69%. As I report back to you this Tuesday afternoon, July 5th, the market over those blended seven years up 
33% directly comparable. So we are more than doubling the market averages, even watching some of our greatest gains get washed away with the receding tide of 2022. So chin up, fools. All right, before we get to the second half of this week's podcast, I do want to mention next week on Rule Breaker Investing, I'll be joined by Rule Breaker Service Leader Tim Byers. Tim made a cameo on last week's mailbag. I hope you got to catch that at the end. And he was previewing his appearance with me to talk about the Rule Breakers service and the Motley Fool on next week's podcast. So really looking forward to having Tim join me a week from today. All right. And now on to an article, which really forms the basis for my reflections on the final half of this week's podcast. This article was published in the Wall Street Journal on the final day of last year. So December 31st, 2021. It was written by Peggy Noonan. And so I'll be channeling Peggy here. But what Peggy was doing in her own article is she was channeling the social media posts of an immigrant, somebody who's been in our country for 10 years, came over from Jordan in 2012. And he had put out a series of social media postings about what he loved about America. Now, I think we can all, before I get into this, we can all agree on a couple of things. First of all, America is not perfect. And whether you love it or hate it, we can all agree it's a human enterprise and it has a lot of flaws. But the second thing I hope we can all agree on is that there are some really admirable things about our country. And sometimes it feels as if we're beating ourselves up on a regular basis, maybe a little bit more than we should. And sometimes it takes people from outside of our own environment, kind of like to Tocqueville in the 19th century, who came to America from France and pointed out a lot of the things that he admired about the United States of America in the 1800s. Well, in its own way, in a much more modest way, the social media postings of Amjad Massad, uh, who came to America, as I mentioned, in January of 2012, function in a similar manner. And so since this is a celebratory week and since this is a happy birthday, despite all of the flaws, I thought it would be a nice way to celebrate our country's birthday. So let me just read a little bit of how Peggy characterizes him. He was from Amman, Jordan. He was 24 10 years ago, so he's 34 today. He came because his father, a Palestinian immigrant to Jordan and a government worker, bought him a computer when he was six. Amjad fell in love and discovered his true language. He studied the history of the computer. He became enamored of the U.S. and Silicon Valley. His memory of arriving at John F. Kennedy International Airport at the age of 24 is a jumble, but what, what he saw from the bridge going into Manhattan was unforgettable. The New York skyline gleaming in the distance. For him, it was, a, it was like a spiritual experience. He was here, and a little bit of his background, he settled in New York. He worked at a startup, then he moved west. He needed to be in Silicon Valley. Five years ago, he became co-founder and CEO of a company called Replit. R-E-P-L-I-T, a company that offers tools to learn programming. At the time, it employed 40 people full-time and 10 contractors. Well, Mr. Mossad became a citizen in 2019, and his reflections near the end of last year were approaching the 10th anniversary of his arrival. He was so grateful for three things, a company, a family, and a house all of his own. He and his wife and business partner, Haya Ode, who's also from Jordan, started talking about America. He used Twitter for it. 
And Peggy quotes him saying, I landed in the United States 10 years ago with nothing but credit card debt. After one startup exit, one big tech job, and one unicorn, I genuinely believe that it wouldn't have been possible anywhere else in the world. So here are 10 things that I love about this country. And for the rest of this podcast, I'm just going to go down through his list. I'm just going to read it as he put it, and then I'll give a little commentary here or there where I think it's warranted. But most of all, I'm just channeling during America's birthday this week the thoughts from somebody who truly loves the United States of America. Number one, he says, work ethic. First thing I noticed was that everyone, regardless of occupation, took pride in doing a bang-up job even when no one looked. And I asked people, why do you pour everything into a job even when it is seemingly thankless? And it was like asking fish, what is water? That was his thoughts on number one, work ethic. And for me, that ties back to, well, what I think of as one of America's five core values, which I've talked about in the past on Rule Breaker Investing, and that would be value number three, enterprise. You think about how important entrepreneurs, starting businesses, new technologies, for-profit capitalism, done well. By the way, often done poorly, which is another aspect of America he doesn't talk about, which is that we let things fail in this country, which doesn't feel good at all. Just like when my five-stock samplers go from, I don't know, 30,000 feet up there in the clouds right down to nose diving down, well, we'll just say much lower than that. But we let things fail in this country, and failure is important too. But it's that work ethic he's speaking to, which I think so tightly aligns with enterprise, which is such an important thing in America of every age. All right, his number two reason to love America was lack of corruption. He wrote, in the 10 years in the U.S., I've never been asked for a bribe. And that's surprising. When you know that you predictably get to keep a sizable portion of the value you create, and that no one will arbitrarily stop you. It makes it easier to be ambitious. And that was his number two. And what an important point that is, and how common bribes and bribery are, and really corruption in so many places around the world, which is sad because, as he points out, it really affects how you think about your own prospects. If you can't enjoy the fruits of your labor, you're not going to work nearly as hard, I think. And so that lack of corruption, to me, ties back into enterprise once again. When you put together two things, work ethic and a lack of corruption, you have a pretty devastating one-two punch for excellent business, which is how I continue to think about America today. Now, I guess I hasten to add that, of course, we all know corruption exists everywhere around the world. And the United States has had its poster children like Enron over the years. So, of course, we recognize that there are a lot of flaws and there still is corruption. I wish there were none at all. I think as humans, it's probably impossible to imagine there there ever wouldn't be some. But that lack of corruption in relative terms combined with work ethic, really love his initial list of number one and number two. Let's move on to number three, which as you might expect, is going to tie back into business once again. And here it is. His words, number three, win-win mindset. People don't try to screw you on deals. They play the long game and align incentives in such a way that 
everyone wins. This is especially apparent in Silicon Valley. I'm Jod Wrights, where you can't underestimate anyone because one day you might be working for them, which I think is hilarious and has proven to be true. Not a lot to add on this one other than when I think of the win-win mindset, the first two words that come to mind for me are conscious capitalism, a topic, a recurring topic on Rule Breaker Investing. And I am on the national board of conscious capitalism. And the win-win mindset is exactly how conscious capitalists think about business being a force to elevate humanity, creating value for all, creating wins for everybody. Now, we can all observe organizations for profit and not for profit today that don't have that mindset. And so I hope it'll continue to spread. I do believe since it's a winning formula, I believe that over time, many who are not following that will either be compelled to start adopting a win-win mindset or lose talent and profits to those who did instead. I'm very confident about that dynamic, which is in part why I'm confident about the future of America and worldwide business. And it's driven, for me anyway, by that win-win mindset, which Amjad Massad has just spoken to. Okay, let's move on to number four, rewarding talent. He wrote, from sports to engineering, America is obsessed with properly rewarding talent. If you're good, you'll get recognized. The market for talent is dynamic. If you don't feel valued today, you can find a better place tomorrow. Reason number four to love America. And as I thought a little bit more about this one, I was reminded of a past interview on this podcast, which I'll speak to in a second. But I do want to say that every day I think we are inching closer to a meritocracy. And a meritocracy is where I want to live. A meritocracy is ruled by those who have the most merit. And when you think about merit, it's not just that they're the smartest or they have the most money, it's that they have the most merit. There's some combination of incredibly talented, incredibly hardworking, and incredibly noble. And they're thinking about others, not just themselves. That's the meritocracy that I want to live in. And I truly believe, while we make fits and starts, if you just think about how many more people today are included in conversations in America, how many more have prospects. I realize not everybody has equal prospects, probably never will. But from women to people of color, people who are excluded from lots of conversations or dynamics in our country 25 or 50 years ago are far more included today, and I suspect even more so tomorrow, because I think every day we're inching a little closer in this country to the meritocracy that I want to live in. And this reminds me of the interview that I did with Kevin Kelly, one of the co-founders of Wired, about his book, The Inevitable. And if you've not read The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly, you're missing a treat. It was written a few years ago, but it probably won't read too dated since Kelly is looking at the future and asking what are the inevitable technological forces that will shape the next 25 years. And so as a futurist, he's looking ahead. And in that book, in one section, he begins talking about how we're not living in a utopia. I think we can all agree on that with the author. He also doesn't think we're living in a dystopia, and I sure don't. Things could be so much worse than, than they are, and they're a lot better than they once were in my mind. So Kevin Kelly gives a new phrase to what he thinks we're living in, and I think we're living in it too, you and I. And the, the phrase is protopia, not 
a utopia, not a dystopia, a protopia. And quoting from page 12 of The Inevitable, protopia, Kelly writes, is a state of becoming rather than a destination. It is a process. In the protopian mode, things are better today than they were yesterday, although only a little better. It is incremental improvement or mild progress. The pro in protopian stems from the notions of process and progress, or I might say process and progress. This subtle progress is not dramatic, not exciting. It's easy to miss because a protopia generates almost as many new problems as new benefits. The problems of today were caused by yesterday's technological successes. And the technological solutions to today's problems, Kelly writes, will cause the problems of tomorrow. This circular expansion of both problems and solutions hides a steady accumulation of small net benefits over time. And I'll read that again. This circular expansion of both problems and solutions hides a steady accumulation of small net benefits over time. Ever since the Enlightenment and the invention of science, we've managed to create a tiny bit more than we've destroyed each year. But that few percent positive difference is compounded over decades into what we might call civilization. Its benefits never star in movies. To conclude this passage from Kelly, I'll just go on a little bit longer. Protopia is hard to see because it is a becoming. It is a process that is constantly changing how other things change, and changing itself is mutating and growing. It's difficult to cheer for a soft process that is shape-shifting, but it is important to see it. End quote. I love that passage. I hope you do too. Such clarifying, perspicuous thoughts. The protopia from Kevin Kelly, the meritocracy that you may not notice, but every day I think we're inching a little bit closer. It's very evident, by the way, in sports. Most of us can agree that the best teams win, the best athletes get paid the most. Of course, there will be exceptions, but most of us every day, if you're sports fans, you're seeing merit out there. And I think in a lot of ways, it's truer in the rest of society than we think. It happens very evidently with TV cameras and lots of analysis on the sports field, but most of the best businesses and business people end up winning over time for very good reasons. They're pleasing their customers more than their competitors. And so that that inching closer, that becoming a meritocracy, it can only happen if, with point number four to close, you're rewarding talent. All right. Let's move on to number five. Maybe the best of Amjad Massad's 10 things he loves. Love this one. Number five, open to weirdos. Majad wrote, because you never know where the next tech, sports, or arts innovation will come from, America had to be open to weirdness. Weirdos in America thrive Without being crushed, we employ people with the most interesting backgrounds, dropouts to artists. They're awesome. I think those words stand on, on their own. I'm not going to really 
add anything other than the phrase and fools. Fools too, because fools, fools are weirdos. If you've listened to this podcast for any persistent basis, you're a fool. Along with me, you're a weirdo too. All right, number six, forgiveness. Weird and innovative people have to put themselves out there. And as part of that, they're going to make mistakes in public. The culture here, Mossad wrote, values authenticity. And if you're authentic and open about your failures, you'll get a second and a third chance. Well, we've already spoken some about failures and the importance of that and the importance of letting that happen. You know, I think part of what ground Japan's economy to a halt for a few decades was the insistence that it not let its failures fail. The government's interventions into what I might call, I don't know, public-private partnerships a little bit overweening, and it allowed mediocrity in some aspects of Japanese business and culture to continue to persist. And I think there's a great strength in letting things disappear. And while it's very painful and you never want to be the one on the losing end, I think we do that really well in America. And if you are, then forgiveness, sure, forgiveness seems to count for so much. And I really love his phrase, if you're authentic and open about your failures, you'll get a second and a third chance. We don't give it to anybody. You have to earn that by being real and being transparent. All right, number seven. And Peggy Noonan in her Wall Street Journal article mentions this is the one that got him the biggest pushback on social media because, you know, if you're going to post something on social media, you should expect pushback from somebody somewhere, probably many people, many different places, which is one of the things I don't really like that much about social media, although I prize the open comments and the public conversation. But the pushback that he got was around number seven. Maybe you'll understand why as I read number seven, basic infrastructure. Americans take care of their public spaces. Parks are clean, subways and buses run on time, and utilities and services just work. Because life can be livable for a time without income, it was possible for us, Masad wrote, to quit our jobs and bootstrap our business. Well, I think we can all appreciate that infrastructure in different areas of the world is sometimes much better or much worse than what the U.S. has. And even within the U.S., there are many different contexts for different infrastructures. I take for granted, happily so, that I'll have clean water as I tap my faucet each day. There are many areas in the world where that simply is not true. So clearly, we need to pinch ourselves sometimes about our infrastructure. But are our trains, for just a quick example, as awesome as Europass travel? I would say no. Uh, and, and I hope we'll get a little bit better every day in that direction. For the author of these social media posts, Mr. Massad, when he got to New York, Peggy writes, Central Park was a beautifully maintained gem. And on the streets, he appreciated, quote, the music, the arts, free concerts, random pop-ups, all for free and open to all, end quote. By infrastructure, she adds, he also meant our system of laws and arrangements. He wrote, when we started the company, we got our health insurance through Obamacare to keep costs down. And for him, it worked. So infrastructure, I suppose, can take many different forms. But there are lots of things here, if you're a fellow American, that you and I should be grateful for when we think about our infrastructure. 
All right, well, the last three. Number eight needs no introduction to my audience. Number eight is optimism. Masad wrote, when you step foot in the U.S., there is a palpable sense of optimism. People believe that tomorrow will be better than today. They don't know where progress will come from, but that's why they're open to differences. He writes, when we started up, even unbelievers encouraged us. So even those who didn't think his startup would work out, the so-called unbelievers here, nevertheless encouraged him in his ways. I've said many a time, optimism is not an emotion or a state of mind. It is a creative force. Whether you think you can or whether you think you cannot, Henry Ford once famously said or was said to have said, whether you think you can or whether you think you cannot, you're right. So to me, the world will always be to those who thought different and said, yes, we can. Those are the types of people I want to invest in. Those are the people I want to work alongside of. Those are the people that I would love to proliferate in my neighborhood, in my community, and across this fair land. Optimism needs no introduction on this podcast. Let's move on to number nine. Number nine is freedom. Masad wrote, clearly a cliche, but it's, it's totally true. None of the above eight that you and I have just talked through this week on this podcast, none of the above works if you're not free to explore and to tinker, to build companies, and to move freely. I still find it amazing that if I respect the law and others, I can do whatever I want without being compelled or restricted. And my brief reflection on what Mossad shared there is, well, for me, one of America's five core values is, always has been, always will be, liberty, freedom. And I think we're seeing among world powers a couple of different theories emerge, a couple of different ways you can play the game. One of the largest countries in the world seems, in my mind anyway, hell-bent on increasingly becoming a surveillance state. That, for me, is the opposite of freedom, the very opposite of American liberty. I don't know if I would die for all of the 10 things on this list. Infrastructure, maybe not. But I think freedom is the kind of thing that you and I should be willing to die for, especially for our kids and the future. So freedom, how could it not be on this list of 10 things we love in America? Freedom is relative. The Motley Fool is trying to create financial freedom for all through both our for-profit and not-for-profit endeavors. Financial freedom is just one form of it, maybe for me, among the most powerful. But the freedom to move around, which is what Mossad spoke to, or the freedom to say what you think, the freedom to make choices against the grain, especially against the powers that be, these are such important things for humanity and for humans to flourish the very opposite of anything that looks like a surveillance state. Freedom, liberty. All right, the 10th and last one. This one, I think, kind of shows off that Masada at his heart is an entrepreneur because his final thing, number 10, that he loves about America is access to capital. He wrote, it's a lot harder to innovate and try to change the world without capital. If you have a good idea and track record, then someone will be willing to bet on you. 
The respect for entrepreneurship in this country is inspiring, and it makes the whole thing tick. Well, at the end of this Wall Street Journal article, again, it was published on December 31st of last year. It was sort of the end of the year, but I thought it was much much better for this particular week in America's birthday. So it was a joy to share these with you. At the end of her article, Peggy, of course, thanks Amjad Massad, but I want to thank her for taking the time to write what she did. And I want to quote her simply to end this week's podcast. So here's toward the end of the article what Peggy writes. And I quote, at the end, Mr. Massad said he was speaking generally that character limits, like Twitter has, don't invite nuance, that there's no call to sit back self-satisfied, that everything could be made better. But he added a warning, quote, many of the things that I talked about are under threat, largely from people who don't know how special they have it. America is worth protecting and realizing that progress can be made without destroying the things that made it special, end quote. Noonan goes on, the past few years, maybe decades, we've become an increasingly self-damning people. As a nation, we harry ourselves into a state of permanent depression over our failures and flaws and what we imagine because we keep being told is the innate wickedness of our system, which keeps justice from happening and life from being good. Maybe we got carried away. Maybe we have it wrong. Maybe those who are new here and observe us with fresh eyes see more clearly than we do. As long as our immigrants are talking like this, maybe we've still got it going on. What a welcome thought. Thank you. I'm Job Massad. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.